In today's world, we define church in a lot of different ways. I don't know how you define church. Uh, people ask me, what kind of church are you in? They're asking a specific question. Yeah, usually they're asking, uh, is your church hip and cool? Yeah, I think I'm hip and cool. <laughs> My children, not so much, but uh, they define the church by hip and cool. Um, sometimes the church is defined by music, what kind or style you're singing or playing, what's on the playlist for a Sunday morning. And sometimes the church is defined by the programs it offers. But that's not how church is defined. Now, that's not how the Bible defines church, and it's certainly not how we should define church, and it's most certainly not how we define this church. You see, if, if we define this church as a hip and cool church, you're always going to be chasing hip and cool. The problem that some of us have, even in this church, is that you were here when it was hip and cool 20 years ago, and you think that what we did 20 years ago is still hip and cool. Well, it's not. If you have your hairstyle from 20 years ago... When we start defining church by hip and cool, you're always chasing cool, or you're deluding yourself that you don't need to. After all, that's how you've defined it. If you define your church by music, as if music is what makes your church what it is, that's like defining a, the value of a car by the radio that's in it. If you define your church by programs, how many programs have we set up and provided for the people and, and, and as, if, as if we've created this big buffet for all the members to come and get whatever they want and get fat and happy? But that's not, that's not the definition for this church. And it's not the definition for the church as we read about it in Scripture. And it's definitely not how Jesus looked at the church. See, all of those examples where we're elevating what we do above why we're doing it. Somewhere along the way in the church, we began to elevate the method above the mission. And I think that happens in our own lives as well, where we decide that the, 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 the what of our life is more important than the why. The what is easy, really. I mean, I wake up tomorrow morning, I get me a cup of coffee, I get in the car, I get to work, I do my job, I get home, I eat dinner, and, and I go to bed. Those are the what. But boy, that can lead to an awful dreary life, unless you know why you're doing the what. 
when we as a church chase the what rather than embrace the why, we elevate method above mission. We, we are in danger of losing our joy. When we elevate meth, uh, method above mission, friends, we're in danger of losing, losing the lampstand of the church, the very presence of the Spirit of God. See, First Norfolk is a body of believers that have unified around the why, not the what. What's more important for us as a church is not whether we're hip and cool, and it's not the playlist of a Sunday morning sing-song. It's not the, 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 the barrage and buffet of programs that we provide. The, the what's don't matter as much as the why. The method must serve the mission. So today as we gather here, we we gather here and, and we depend upon one another to fulfill the mission. We depend upon one another, whether you're a creative or whether you're a poet or whether you're a soldier or a dancer or whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're young or old, we need all of us to come together under the banner of the mission, not united by a method. And when we are brought together, united by a mission, then we will see God do amazing, miraculous, powerful, only Spirit of God kind of things will happen. But it has to begin with you and me. See, here's what makes a church joyless. What makes a church joyless is when we pursue what to the neglect of why. What makes a church joy less is when we elevate what we do in all of its different expressions and we forget the purpose while we do it. So today in John chapter 17, Jesus wants to challenge you right where you are to challenge you and me as followers of Christ to give us what we need. And and really, he's talking about joy here. He's talking about how you and I can experience joy every single day that we live as followers of Christ. That's what he's talking about. John chapter 17, verse 13, he sums up everything about the prayer that he's praying. He says, these things I'm praying and saying so that my joy might be filled up and overflowing in my followers. That's what he says in John 17, 13. So everything he's praying in John 17 is a prayer whose content will produce joy in our lives. The content of this prayer will produce joy in our lives. Really, it's autobiographical. Jesus is simply giving us insight into how he has lived his life. During his 30-plus years on the earth, how has he lived so that he has joy? How, how has he lived so that he has joy right now on his journey? See, right now in John 17, his journey is going downhill fast. His journey is leading him to be killed. That's where he's going. 
He knows he's going there. He knows he's getting ready to be arrested that same night. He knows he's going to get flogged and beaten and spat upon and shamed and cruelly treated. He knows he's going to be placed upon the beam of a cross and hung naked and shame-filled. He knows that he is going to have to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's going to take the sin of the world upon his back and suffer the punishment that that sin demands. Jesus knew what was about to happen. But listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as it describes Jesus in this setting. First of all, the writer of Hebrews is telling us we need to, we need to set our focus on Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, the writer writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, setting our gaze upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of God the Father." The writer of Hebrews characterized this last day of Jesus' life and the last few days of Jesus' life, he characterized it as one filled with joy. Jesus had joy in the face of the cross. And that's the kind of joy I want. I want to have joy when... when when my bracket collapses, hashtag March Madness. I, I want to have joy when, when the fabric of my life and my world begins to fray. I want to have joy. I want to have joy when not everything is going well. I want to have joy when my children don't obey me. Help me. I'm talking about the two in college, not the two that are here. I, I want to have joy. I want to have joy when I blow it. I, I want to have joy when I'm in pain. I want to have joy when I know that what's around the corner is going to be bad, really, really bad. I want to have joy. I want to have joy that's, that, that swirls in my soul regardless of my circumstance. I don't want to be just happy and you know it for a moment. I want to have joy that survives the test of every trial. That's the joy that Jesus had. So how can we get hold of that joy? Well, that's what the prayer is all about. See, Jesus leaving the upper room, on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives. He's passing through the Kidron Valley, just outskirts of Jerusalem's walls. And, and as he's passing through the Western Gate, probably, and walking down through the Kidron Valley, Jesus is praying out loud for his disciples to hear. And here's what he says. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son might also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know what Jesus was doing in these first few verses? 
He was showing us how he had joy. See, Jesus had joy because he understood the why of his life. Jesus understood the why of his life. Before he left the throne room of heaven, before he was born as a baby in the manger in Bethlehem, before he uh, was uh, in the temple as a, as a child and, and reading scripture, before, uh, before he left his, uh, his carpentry vocation to go to the Jordan River and get baptized by John the Baptist, while he was preaching uh, and healing and teaching and rebuking and correcting and, and helping people. Uh, and even now as he made his way to the cross, Jesus understood why. And so he had joy. The why filled every moment of his life with significance, with fulfillment, with joy. Today, I think that one of the reasons we don't have joy is because we don't understand the why. Or having understood the why, we give up the big why for a bunch of lesser whys. Or perhaps we just decide that the why doesn't matter, only the what does. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, here's the deal. Jesus gives us all the joy we need because Jesus gives us the joy of a life of purpose. Jesus gives us the joy of a life filled with purpose. The why. Jesus understood why he lived. He spells it out in verses 1 and 2. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that... That's purpose. That your son might glorify you as you've given him an authority over all flesh. That, that's purpose. That he might give eternal life to as many as you've given to him. Jesus understood his purpose. The reason he left heaven's throne. The reason he was born in a manger. The reason he was a child reading scripture in the temple. Uh, the reason he was baptized at the Jordan River. The reason he uh, was healing and preaching and te teaching and, and, and helping people. The reason he was going to the cross was because of his purpose. His purpose was to glorify God by helping those who are far from God be brought near by the shedding of his own blood. Jesus had a purpose. It was simple. It wasn't easy, but it was simple. To glorify God by helping those who are far from God find new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus had a purpose. To glorify God by giving eternal life to people who didn't have it. Jesus had a purpose. And it's that purpose that gave him joy as he journeyed to the cross because he was fulfilling the purpose that God had given. I hope you see where I'm going with this. You know why you don't have joy in your life? It's because as a follower of Christ, you don't follow Christ. Because if you followed Christ, his purpose would be your purpose. The reason 
churches are so filled with a lack of joy is because somewhere along the line, they traded their why for a what? Well, we sing songs, and we, uh, we take up offerings, and we uh, have Bible studies, and we uh, take care of children, and we uh, do soup kitchen, and we have prayer meetings, and we do, and this, and do, and this, and do, and this, and we've forgotten why. The purpose of the church, the purpose of your life, and the purpose of mine is to glorify God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Jesus Christ. And if we or if you have any other purpose, you are forfeiting joy. I, I, I just want us to let that sink in a little bit. Your purpose for living given to you by the Creator Himself. The purpose for living that you embraced when you accepted Jesus as your King. This is your purpose. To glorify God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. We have joy when we pursue that purpose. And we lack joy when we forget that purpose. You know, I say, well, you know, Eric, that's what Jesus did, but why, why are you saying that's what I should do? Again, you call yourself a Christian. Christian, literally, little Christ, literally, follower of Christ, Literally, Jesus did it, I do it. His purpose, your purpose. When we decide on different purposes than the one who has saved us, no wonder we're miserable. Jesus has given us his purpose, our purpose, our purpose for living. The greater distance between us and our purpose, the greater the misery. In other words, the, the more we chase after something that is, that is not our supreme purpose, which is to glorify God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ, the further away from that we get, the more misery we're going to have. Guys, this is the equation of Scripture. More obedience equal more joy. That's the equation of Scripture. I do what God wants, I get more joy. That's the equation of Scripture. I follow in the footsteps of Jesus, I find more joy. That's the equation of Scripture. Jesus did it this way, and I disregard what he did and do something different because I don't want to do what he did. That equals lack of joy. And you and I are here today, and we want joy that will survive the test of the cross. And the only way we're going to survive the test of the cross and have joy in the midst of it is if we are chasing after and pursuing with all that we have the why of our life. That is to glorify God and help those who are far from God find new life in Jesus. 
Jesus said in verse 10, he said, all these are mine and I'm glorified in them. He set it up so that we would continue his work of glorifying God. Verse 18, he said, as the Father has sent me, I send you. He set it up so that we would continue in this pursuit, fulfilling this divine purpose of glorifying God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ. And if you believe the church exists for any other reason, that's why you don't like it here. I'm not mad about it. I just want us to get it. See, our problem is not our playlist. Our problem is not we're not hip and cool. Our problem is not that we're not traditional enough. Our problem is not that we don't have the right programs or need better programs. Friends, if we have a problem in the church, it's that we have developed this idea that our methods are more important than our mission. We've developed this mentality that says the what we do is more valuable than the why we're doing it. We've made idols out of what we do, and we've kicked our purpose to the curb. If we have a problem, that's our problem. And as followers of Jesus Christ, same thing goes for you and me. It's, this is the equation of Scripture. It's got to work this way. We can have joy because God's given us a purpose for living. But that purpose is his purpose defined by him. It's not defined by us. When we signed up to be a follower of Jesus and embrace him by faith, it's in that moment that we gave up the right to call the shots on our own, to make up our own purposes as we go. When we became a follower of Jesus, we signed up for service, to be a slave to the king. So his purpose is our purpose. I know you don't hear a lot of these sermons out there. You want to know what? Because it's easier to talk about what than it is why. See, I look around this room and I know that some of us are so consumed with what that we can't see the why. We've forgotten the why or we don't care about the why. And that's why you're miserable. That's why some of you are mean. You're giggling. I'm not. Your what is more important than God's why. Your method is more important than his mission. That's why you don't have any joy. Today, that can change. Today, it can change. That's the good news. Man, it can change for you. It can change for me. We have joy in his purpose for living. His purpose is clear. To help those who are far from God find new life in Christ. This is how we glorify our Father in heaven. You know, I say, well, we, we, that's not how we're supposed That's not all, you know, Glorifying God in heaven is more than that. Really? I'm just quoting Jesus here. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, 
if this is how Jesus glorified God in heaven, then when did you decide that you knew better than Jesus how to glorify God in heaven? Well, of course you didn't. We have joy in his purpose. And we lack joy when we forget his purpose. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pleading with you right now. I really am. As followers of Jesus Christ and as members of First Baptist Church, will you set down and push aside all these lesser things that don't have anything to do with glorifying God and helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ? Will you stop fixating on those things and robbing this church of joy? And will you pursue with great passion the purposes of a living God as a follower of Jesus Christ to glorify God and to help those who are far from God find new life in Christ? Will you join me in that? That's my, that, that's my prayer because I, I want to be around joyful people too. And I want you to have that joy. You might say, well, it's hard. I get it. It's hard. It's hard for me on Monday mornings. Listen, last Sunday afternoon, man, I was so filled with joy because I saw God doing great things. Monday morning, it seemed like every sap of that joy had been just drained. Mondays are hard. I mean, they're rough. That's why every day I know that I have joy because I'm prepared. You know, God is preparing me. Jesus has prepared me. I have joy in the preparation that, that Jesus has made. You look at verse 6 of John 17. John 17, verse 6, Jesus said, uh, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Can I tell you about you? they have kept your word there? That is a picture of the gospel itself, the message of God loving humanity and that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for sinners like you and me. Your word is a picture of the gospel that, that, that rescue, that God in his love sent Jesus to rescue uh, sinners like you and me drowning in our sin and our shame and our guilt. Jesus came, dove in head first, and rescued us from drowning. That's the word of verse 6, Okay. And so Jesus gave it to the disciples. He said, they've taken hold of it. They're guarding it. They're, they're, they've allowed it to shape their hearts. They're keeping it. Okay? Verse 7. Now, they have known that all things you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. All right, so... Verse 8, for I have given to them the words which you have given me. That's a different, that's a different picture. In verse 6, the term word there in verse 6 is logos. That's the Greek term, logos. All right? In verse 8, Jesus says, I have given them the words which you've given to me. The term words, the noun there, is not logos, it's rhema, different. So what's the distinction between the word of verse 6 and the words of verse 8? Well, I believe that the word of verse 6 is the gospel. This is the message. And the gospel sets the guidelines for our everyday life. 
to live in the purposes of God. Let me just spell it out this way. I've been rescued. Jesus rescued me, right? So Jesus left heaven, and I was drowning in my sin. Shame, guilt. Okay? I'm drowning. And so God sent Jesus to rescue me, and he dove in, and he picked me up out of my sin. He forgave my sin through his death on the cross. As one who was far from God because of my sin, I've now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I live in friendship with God because Jesus rescued me. All right? That's the good news, and it should change the way I live. It should change the way I live in relationship with other people. So that I live according to the purpose for which I have been rescued. Makes sense that I want to glorify God because God sent Jesus to save me. Well, the more I remember how, how, how I was saved, not because I was good or because I was religious or because I was Baptist or my daddy was a Baptist or my mama was a preacher or my grandmama was a preacher and she dipped snuff and danced. Uh, it, it's not, none of those things is what made me fit to be rescued. When I remember that the only reason I was rescued was because God in his grace sent Jesus in his love for me to pick me up from drowning. When I remember that it's not because I was good that God sent his grace my way, but rather it was in spite of my wickedness and rebellion against him that he sent his grace my way. Aren't you glad that God up in heaven saw, seeing you drowning as a sinner, aren't you glad he didn't just say to the son, well, he ought to learn how to swim? In fact, who among us, as we live our everyday life, if we were walking by the, the, the swimming pool at the Y and we saw somebody drowning there in the deep end and they're going down and we walk by them, how many of us would just look at them and, and say, out loud, well, he should have learned how to swim and walk right on by. Who would do that here? What kind of man or woman are you that would cause you to walk by that drowning soul and say, he should have learned how to swim? And yet, you see it, don't you? You see it coming, don't you? And yet, how many of us walk by those who are drowning in their sin and their shame and their guilt and we look judgmentally on them and we say they should have learned how to swim? And we fail to glorify God and help those who are far from God find new life in Christ. Why? Because we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten the good news that, yeah, you were a sinner. You were going to hell. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. But God in his love knew that we couldn't swim. He knew that we couldn't even learn to swim. And so he sent his son to save us. And today you are lifeguards trained by Jesus. And you have his purpose tattooed on your heart. Saved to help save others. That's what the gospel does. Well, what about the words? You know, verse 8 says, and, and, and Jesus has given us the words that God had given him. What are these words? Well, these are the words, the instructions of Jesus. You know, Jesus wants to equip us in everyday life so that we can live through the days and, and, and be um, uh, 
um, be fit for service. He, he, he wants to equip us. This is, these are the words that, that help us fulfill our purpose. These are the words that prepare us for everyday life. These are the words that we find in, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount. The, uh, Matthew 5, 14, city on a hill can't be hid. You know, we're supposed to be light of the world. We're supposed to be salt of the earth. These are the instructions Jesus gives in Matthew 28. Uh, all authority, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've told you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. These are the words of Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest, rest, rest. These are the instructions of Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the words of Jesus, the instructions that he gives us to equip us and prepare us so that we can fulfill our purpose, which is to glorify God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ. So we can have joy in our purpose because Jesus has prepared us. And the third thing we see in the text is that there is joy in the protection that God gives us so that we can live in this purpose. I, I want you to read again, uh, beginning in verse 10, he says, uh, he says, and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Uh, those whom you gave me, I have, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and, and these things I speak in the world, that they, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. All right, so what's he saying there? Essentially, he's saying I'm, that, 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 that the Father has an assignment to protect those who are pursuing his purpose. Guys, listen. God has made it his responsibility to guard you as you seek to glorify him by helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ. He's made it his business to protect you, to keep, to guard, to, to set, up, set up barriers of protection around you so that you can fulfill your purpose. The reason we feel so insecure as a church or as followers of Christ sometimes is because, not because God is absent. It's because we have run away from the purpose for which he has called us. Hey, might I humbly suggest that the scariest place for the church to be today is when you have ample spreadsheets, but you have run and hidden from the purposes of God. 
It is scarier for a church to have a full bank account and yet don't care about what God has called us to do. That's a scary place for the church to be. Can I say a scary place for you and me to be? It's when we are so self-sufficient and self-confident in what we got going on that we act and play and pretend like, you know what, I don't really need to chase after God's purpose anymore. We believe that we've memorized enough scripture and that we've made enough holy uh, accoutrements to put on where we, where we played this whole church game and, and done the whole church scene sufficiently that, that we can say, you know, I've arrived, I'm going to sit down, let other people seek to glorify God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ. As for me, I'm above all that. I don't have to do that anymore. Friends, that's a scary place for us. That's when we feel insecure. We feel most fearful and most insecure when we have run from God's purpose. Why? Because God promises his protection when we're chasing after his purpose. God doesn't want us to curl up in a ball and hide like an armadillo. Y'all don't have armadillos here, but armadillos in Texas, you know, he, he doesn't want us to curl up and, 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 and into a ball and hide on the side of the road until we're dead because we're afraid of the cars driving by. God, God wants us to engage a lost world. All those people drowning in their sin and shame and guilt, he wants us to, to dive in head first. You might say, well, that's a scary thing. Good. It's okay to be scared. But we can trust that God is protecting us as we go. We have joy in the protection that God gives us. And finally, we have joy in the powerful love of God the Father toward us. It begins in verse 20. Jesus is praying for unity. He says, he says I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you, known that you sent me. I have declared to them your name and, you, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. You know, the Father wants to love you so powerfully that it chases away your fear and insecurity. He, he wants you to, to taste the extravagance of his love. And friends, there is no greater joy than to be lavished in the love of God. But as followers of Christ, we fail to taste that love because we fail to be obedient to Christ. You remember how Jesus described it in John 15? He said, here's the commandment, that you love one another. But then he said, as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 15, he says, and you will abide in my love when you obey my commandments. 
Can I just humbly suggest that most of us live joyless, hapless lives because we are not obeying God in the greatest purpose that He's given us? It is the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is glorifying God. How do we glorify Him? By helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ and love your neighbor as yourself. Can I suggest that the reason so many of us uh, at different times fail to taste joy and, and, and experience God's love is because we are not obeying Him. Again, this is the equation of Scripture. If we will chase after His purpose as our very own, then we will have joy. He has prepared us. He will protect us, and He will lavish His love on us so that we taste His love every day. Jesus endured the cross despising its shame because He saw the joy of it. What was the joy? That He was fulfilling God's purpose. That God had prepared Him. That God was protecting Him. And that God was powerfully loving him. Today, that's how we have joy. Jesus offers it. When we pursue the purpose of glorifying God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ, God promises to have prepared us for it, to protect us in it, and to love us powerfully through it. And there's where joy is. This morning, you've got to decide if you're going to choose joy or not. You have to decide that. I know all the what's in your life may be so important to you that you just can't see yourself letting them go and chasing after the one why that God has given us. I understand that. But can I also say to you, if you choose not to chase after this glorious purpose, you will choose misery as a follower of Jesus Christ. And friends, I don't want you to be miserable. Again, option's yours, just as it's mine. Let's choose joy today.